Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Living My Best Disabled Life. Today, we have Rebecca Tosic. She is a writer, an educator, and an advocate. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Olivia. I'm so happy to be having this conversation with you today. So glad you were able to come speak to me. Um, so can we just start off by maybe you introducing yourself and kind of like your diagnosis, but also how that kind of affected um, you wanting to start writing, uh, writing about your disability and just like, I know you have a book, but also you have the whole um, online Instagram persona. Yes, yes, yes. That's a great question. And I'll try not to just talk for an hour because, you know, like it's kind of a, I guess it's kind of a long story. Um, Cause it started when I was, I was 14 months old when I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, it's just, which is weird. Cause that's the age of my son now. It's so strange. Um, it feels so little, but he, yeah, I, I was diagnosed with cancer on my spine. Um, and I went through treatments, radiation, chemotherapy, surgery treatments for the next like two years. And, um, after the end of all of that treatment, I didn't have cancer anymore, which was wonderful because it, I, it saved my life. I wasn't supposed to live, but, um, I kind of slowly, um, my mobility was affected and <clears throat> I started falling, dragging my feet when I was walking and then eventually just couldn't really walk. Um, I, I had a walker that I would use sometimes and I had some little crutches that were very cute. Um, I, um, I had some braces on my legs to help keep my feet, um, situated. Um, and I didn't actually get a wheelchair until I was six. So I had this kind of space for a few years where I was just sort of rambling around, um, kind of making my own way in whatever way made sense to me, um, started school and kind of needed to keep a certain pace. And so I got my first hot pink wheelchair. Um, I put smiley face stickers all over it. I was very proud of it. Um, as soon as I got it, I, I was I was really dreadful. I felt a lot of dread in getting my first wheelchair initially as a little kid. Um, it felt like this symbolic, sad thing to me. And then as soon as I got it and sat in it, it was like, oh, this is amazing. Um, and I just sort of um, went from there. So I was about six when I um, got my first wheelchair. I'm the youngest of six kids. Um, and my family was really busy and um, loud. And, um, and um, I just sort of kind of fell into that group. Like I, I, my parents never really emphasized my disability. And I think that there were some gifts in that, in that I just sort of like was able to go about my life and um, fit in with my family. And at the same time, um, there were things that were happening that I didn't have a lot of language to understand or address. Uh, I was different, even as I felt the same. And of course, I was the same in a lot of ways too. But there were things about me that were really different from my siblings, um, from my peers at school. Um, and so there was sort of always this part of me um, that, that was really in kind of the background of my life, um, was really important force in my life, um, but I didn't know how to talk about it. And I didn't know what it meant to me. Um, and what I'm talking about is disability. Um, my, my disabled body um, was sort of always there, but I didn't really know how to approach it or think about it. And so what ended up happening for me was that 
that led to a lot of shame. Um, so I would kind of show up um, in any given space and sort of realize that there was something, um, there people were responding to me in a certain way, or I made things inconvenient for people, or there were always having to be accommodations in my classroom or whatever it was. Um, and I started to just kind of feel like the problem in the room, um, the thing that showed up that made things inconvenient for people. And, um, and, and I started to feel helpless. Um, I started to notice that, um, like disabled girls didn't seem to be like featured in um, romance stories. So as I was really, really pretty young, I was piecing together that like disabled girls didn't seem to be um, the romantic lead in any stories. You know, they weren't, um, they didn't seem to be uh, mothers, speaking of children. Um, and so I started to feel like I would not, that was not in the cards for me either. And so it was just in this place of, feeling a lot of shame and and in the way and um, that sort of grew and grew and grew in me until I got to a breaking point in my early 20s. So what was um, that like turning point? Oh well there's a couple waves of it and honestly Olivia gosh I don't <laughs> that's that could set us off on a whole new no but I part of it I'm no but I mean what is the turning point like for when you wanted to start um writing about it and yeah okay so that turning point would be um in graduate school i was in uh, my graduate program and i found this thing called disability studies um and there were these scholars who were writing about disability as a social construction and they were kind of unpacking the idea of normal and looking at the history of how we came to understand and put bodies in this category of normal and abnormal and it was so revelatory to me having that language that context that history reading stories about other people who lived in bodies that didn't fit and and reminded me of my own body um i suddenly was a part of an attached to a community um that i didn't even really know about before uh and so that changed my perspective in a really powerful way and so um at that point i was 28 years old so i had been in this body for help me with the math, like 25 years. Um, and, uh, and it was the first time that I was rethinking all of those years and, um, reframing and interrogating those memories. Um, so I am a person who goes to writing as a space to understand. Um, when I feel like perplexed or confused about something, writing is often the place that I can find some comfort and understanding. And so I started writing a little tiny mini memoirs online on Instagram as a way to start processing those things. So I'm reading all of this academic work, but I'm feeling it in this really personal way. And there's, my brain is kind of exploding um, with ideas. And so I started writing these little snippets about like what it feels like to move through the world when you're visibly disabled and people um, kind of react to that um and the world is largely inaccessible in a lot of ways and so um i just started writing little tiny bits about that online and um was really blown away by the people i was able to connect with and um and how much i actually had to write about and that eventually evolved into the book i mean i think it was maybe three or four years that i'd been writing online when um i started putting together a book proposal um I, I would sit down to write something and 
I've learned that Instagram allows 2,200 characters in a post. And so I would go down and I would say, I've got to write, I've got to be brief, I've got to be succinct. Um, and I would write something that felt very polished and I would go to post it and it'd be like three times too long. I was just really starting to feel the, um, the limits of that space. And so the book was a way to expand and deepen and tell more stories about so basically the Basically in a way like the, in Instagram mini memoirs kind of turned into a book because you kind of ran out of like room yeah kind of like speak about it because there are only like a certain amount of characters you can use <laughs> yeah I mean in some ways I think that that's part of what happened yeah um was it was like a natural evolution it was um it's, it was a natural time to grow and have more space so yeah I know your book touches on a lot of different topics and we don't have time for like everything because, you know, that would take hours. But what would you say is like um, your one of your favorite uh, topics to either talk or write about? I had so much fun writing the chapter about love and romance. Um, I think that for me, growing up as an adolescent and early 20s person, um, the desire to be um, loved and um, and like wanted, like desirable and, and, and um, cared for in a romantic partnership was like sky high. And it was something I felt like as a disabled woman, I couldn't participate in. And so I think that that does that like, um, passionate desire and longing, um, and then feeling that that would never be fulfilled just kind of became this giant angst in my heart. Um, and it led me to make, make some really bad decisions. I got married really young to someone I, I shouldn't have. Um, cause I just was like, no one else will love me. I need to, I need to choose this one and hang on. Cause, um, that was a fluke that he wanted, he wants to be with me at all. And, um, we were really incompatible. Um, and should not have gotten together. Um, and ultimately, I um, I feel like a big part of growth in my life was being able to grow enough uh, as a single person to be ready to really fall in love with the person um, that I am with now and love more than anything. Um, so I don't know. I love. I love watching romantic stories. I love, um, I, I see a huge lack of representation of stories of romance and love that include disability. And so, uh, when I got the chance to actually write about my story of love and romance, it was so fun. Um, it was, I really loved writing that as a story. It was, uh, it's a sweet story. I love Micah and like getting to describe them on the page, um, and kind of what some of those early days with us were like. Um, I think that we need so much more representation of disability and romance and love. I think it's one of the great mis, it's one of the great misfortunes and misrepresentations and uh, misunderstandings and stigmas is that like, if you're disabled, um, that's not someone you can date. That's not, you know, like where that's not someone you can be partnered with. And it's such a lie. Uh, and it's so, um, it's so limiting to everyone, right? Like that's limiting to disabled people and it's limiting to the people that they could potentially be partnered uh, with. So 
anyways, I love writing about that. It was fun. It was easy. Um, it, it's it actually was, one it, of my favorite sections of the book. Really? <laughs> Me too. It's just fun. It's just like uh, uncomplicated, easy, fun, and beautiful. I don't. I don't want to oversimplify it. I mean, there were lots of stretches of my life when that was painful and frustrating, and even being with Michael, like I described in the book, like people can be annoying to us about that and rude yeah. and um there's that too but I just I love being with him so writing about it was really fun um and I think it's something that the world needs is more stories like that so it's all good yeah um I love love too so that's <laughs> probably why like I, I love that and it gave me so much like hope like I'm only 22 but like I've always felt like, oh, maybe there isn't, like, someone, because who wants to do the disabled girl, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Oh, we could talk about that for the rest of the time, Olivia. Yeah. 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 Um, So, I I just really love that chapter. (laughs) I mean, that section. On the contrary, what do you think, like, is the um, hardest, was the hardest to write? As soon as you asked that, I like three chapters just like boom, boom, boom through my brain. Um, I think the chapter on kindness and the complications of kindness and kind of wanting to push against these scripts that we have in our culture that, that make disabled people the helpless recipients of kindness from non-disabled people, um, like those news articles that you can imagine where the 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 quarterback of the football team asked the disabled girl to prom and we're all supposed to applaud. Oh my like, God. That's the first thing that came to my head when you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that narrative is so pervasive and deeply rooted in our culture and it shows up in so many ways and people are really attached to it. So writing about that, I, I could hear all of the voices of the critics in my head and, and thinking like, how do I get this person, this critic who is so attached to their notion of con- kindness to listen? And that was a really difficult task. And I don't know that I was successful in it. Um, in ter- it I mean, of all the chapters in the book and all the Q and A's that I've done and, and, uh, interviews and stuff that's the chapter that everybody's like now can we talk about the kindness chapter like I don't know can you help me understand like that's the one that a lot of people are still sort of like working through and I I think that makes sense um it's a it's a complicated conversation and I think it's one that is continuing to evolve I mean if I if I were to write that chapter again I think there'd be additional things I would weave in there. Um, but that one was, uh, that one, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to say, but figuring out how to say it and how to like invite people into that conversation and not shut people out of it, that was a challenge. Um, writing the chapter on teaching um, was really painful. It was a, uh, I, in the book, I talk about my experience of teaching disability studies to a group of high school students. It was my first year teaching high school. Um, it was my first year at this school and it was really hard and it didn't go, it didn't go very well. And I, um, having to like recount that experience and sit down and write about exactly what happened and how I fumbled my way through and some of the painful things that were said. And, um, that, um, was painful to write in terms of sitting down and having to sit in that and feel that over again. But I think the chapter that was 
the most difficult to write in terms of difficult to figure out what I even wanted to say and what I thought about the topic was um, the feminist pool party chapter about the intersections of womanhood and, and disability and trying to figure out what that intersection meant to me and why that was important. And um, yeah, that was, that was a intellectual challenge. Um, so I guess, I guess a few of them were hard in different ways. Like, um, would you say each chapter or different chapters had like their own challenges? Like it wasn't just like, oh, one is more challenging than the other. Yeah, I think those three were the hardest for different reasons. Um, those three presented unique challenges and, and um, made it painful in a different sort of way. Um, but not all the chapters were as hard. I mean, like the romance chapter was the first one I wrote. And it just sort of like, once I got going and once I figured out that once I read the thread of Reddit, like the men of Reddit and the, um, all the things that people were, the men of Reddit were saying about to this disabled woman about why she hadn't found a boyfriend or a partner yet. And I, I found that on Reddit and my mind just exploded with like, oh my God goodness, I know what the problem is. Men don't know how to imagine real life romance. That's the problem. Like, so once I figured that out, I just, that whole chapter just sort of like came out of me. Um, and it didn't necessarily have that experience with any of the other chapters, but a lot of them seem, it was, it wasn't as difficult. It wasn't painful to write about. I knew what I wanted to say. I didn't imagine people would be like, up in arms about it, like the representation chapter, the accessibility chapter, um, those those were a regular amount of difficult. Um, and then we had those other ones that were just particularly gnarly for other reasons. Um, gosh, I think that's all the chapters I just named. Yeah, I think you named every yeah. chapter. <laughs> yeah. I was like, as you're saying it, I'm like, aren't you naming every single chapter? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think we covered. Oh, the first one. The first chapter is about like defining ableism and talking oh, about my. Oh, There's that. that. Yeah, there, I haven't there's read that. it in a while, but I, I remember. That. I this is not a homework test thing, Olivia. <laughs> I expect you to. <laughs> I know, but certain chapters have like stuck out to me. So like when you were saying them, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that one. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. One. Um, I haven't read it in a while either. <laughs> I don't even know how long it's been because, like, it feels like it's been, like, five years. Like, th this whole year has been, like, Yeah, I know, right. Time, what does it mean? I don't, I couldn't tell you. I have no sense of time anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, now that you're, like, so, uh, I wouldn't say, like, that you're always confident, but you seem like mm. a very confident person. Um, in your disabled body and um, I mean since you're literally writing about every instance of your life about it um, what would you like say to your younger self my gosh this question is so tricky I don't know why this is such a tricky question for me maybe it's because I'm like I don't feel like I'm very good at giving advice to anyone <laughs> um, advice is so hard um, because I, part of it is I wonder what my younger self would have even listened to, you know, like, 
what would I, what could I say to my younger self that would actually penetrate all the layers of, of shame and, and thinking that I already understood everything and already knew everything. And what can someone else even tell me? Um, like so much of life is just experience it for me. Um, like I learned so much more through just experiencing things. Um, which is unfortunate because that means that you have to like just slog through a lot of crap um, in order to like get to the other side, um, which is what which I, is what I think I've done a fair share of. Um, what would I say to my younger self, Olivia? Um, I, maybe maybe that maybe that's what I maybe that's part of how I would frame it. Like. Um, I learned by experiencing. I think maybe part of the advice would be like, get out there and, and do it. Like get out there and live and, and, and fall and, um, and hurt and feel and, and, um, and like yourself back up, like that kind of thing. Like, like what kind of thing? Um, like pick yourself back up, like fall and pick yourself back up kind of. Um, I think I mean more, more than that. I mean, um, just experience it all in general. So like, I think that one of my responses to, um, being disabled without much of a framework for understanding what it meant to me was to feel really afraid of, of life. Um, so I was really afraid to get a job. I was really afraid to go to school. I was really afraid to make friends. I was afraid of a lot of things. Um, because all of it led to so much anxiety and it would always, you know, it was so often that it would lead to uncomfortable situations or it was hard. It was hard. Life is hard. But I think like as a disabled person, there's sort of this extra layer um, of hard that I just uh, didn't have the capacity to understand. I just felt it and felt incapacitated by it. It was, I was just very overwhelmed by life. Um, and so I guess maybe if there was some advice, it would be like, um, I would say something like, um, guess what? Life is super hard, but you are actually so much more capable than you think that you are. And so I'm going to push you out. You're going to, uh, go out into the world and do a lot of things and it's going to be so hard, but you're going to, you're going to rise to the top, right? You're going to keep floating. You're going to, um, you're not going to be swallowed by these things that you feel like have the power to devour you. Um, I think, I, I think that that would maybe be my best started advice to my younger self, um, that you, you, you can handle it. Um, and, and, I, and I don't mean that in a like pull yourself up by your bootstraps sort of way. I think it's sort of like a, um, if you fall, it's not going to be the worst thing in the world. You know, if you, if you try something and it doesn't go well, if you, if you create an online dating profile and you have some awkward dates, you're going to be okay. Or if you apply to these schools and you don't get in, you're going to be okay. If you, you know, like if you, um, I, I guess it's more like, um, you're, you are going to survive and, um, and it's, and I, it's going to hurt and it's going to be hard and, um, but kind of like let yourself feel all of that. Um, and, and I, I think for me that that feeling, the impact of that and, um, like pushing through the things that are hard and like letting yourself actually 
live in the world um, is how I've grown. Um, so I think if that younger version of me would even listen to anything that an adult version of me would say. Um, That's an interesting thing too, because like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if like an adult version of you gave the yeah. teenage version of you or the child version of you advice. Yeah. Would, would you listen or not? <laughs> I don't think I would have. Would you have? Like if you gave advice to your younger self? I, I don't know either. Like, I don't think, I don't think I would. <laughs> Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I just be like, uh, what you're talking about. Right. And like, okay, that sounds good. You know, honestly, what I think, and I wonder, I wonder what you think about this. I feel like for my younger self, what would have been more powerful than like me coming from the future and giving advice would be like having more stories in the world that I could see myself in. Um, oh, I think God, that makes so much sense, and right? that, that would be so much more um, powerful in a way. Yes, yes. Like I think that was more incapacitating. It wasn't like I just needed someone to tell me the right thing. You know, like this is what you should do. It's just like when you live in a world where you're not represented in any any of the future. You know, like all your friends are going off and they're starting to date and they're getting jobs and they're going to school and you can't see yourself in any of those futures. Uh, that's really powerful. And I feel like intervening, intercepting that and creating more representation of stories that we can see ourselves in is how I think that would make more of a difference than any any adult being like let me tell you child um this is what you need oh, to do no I totally agree I didn't think of it that way but I totally agree <laughs> okay good I, I'm not the only one that's how it feels to me and then lastly I love asking everyone this question I always end it with this um how do you feel that you're like living your best disabled life um oh oh how do how how do i live my best life? how do you feel you're living your best disabled life how are okay. how are you be best living your life as a disabled person okay yes i think that's a great question i would want to know what other people would say um you know listen to that um rest of the podcast i need to out. <laughs> i'm really curious I, I i like was scrolling through your i think i somewhere i saw like the different people you've interviewed and I was like this looks really cool um so I need to listen to those um okay uh I think I would say I think I would say like when I'm actually practicing listening to my body um I have a lot of experience of ignoring my body um and in, and I mean that in a lot of different ways, like um, not listening to it when it's tired or when it's hungry. Or, um, but I also mean like I have a long history of um, like trying to hide it and, um, and hiding the parts that look disabled in particular and making myself small. Um, so I think that like letting my body play a bigger role and like have a voice um, and be present um, is, is important for me, like being fully integrated and aligned. Um, so for me, I think that that means things like, um, I mean, like basic, basic, like feeding, feeding it and letting it sleep, which is much harder for me now that I have this little kid. It's like, um, I will go like, 
to dinner and be like, what did I eat today? Um, so like just making sure that it's cared for and that when it's sending signals that it needs something that I'm listening. Um, I think letting it be seen, like it, my body, myself, like I think, um, I became a parent in the pandemic. And so I got to like hide a lot <laughs> as a new parent and not be seen out in the world. And I got really comfortable not being seen. Um, and then going back out into the world is sort of like this overwhelming thing sometimes of like, oh my goodness, I, I just have to like put on my armor and pr prepare for people to stare at us and that kind of thing. And I, I think, um, I, I, I guess I would say it's not that like living my best disabled life means that like I always have to be on display and like in the world so people can see, look, disabled mom um, or anything like that. But I, I think that like, I think that I, I tend to be in a healthier place when I'm comfortable in that space, when I'm comfortable being seen um, and I don't, it doesn't send me spiraling. Um, but I, at the same time, I think listening to myself and knowing when I need to retreat and rest and have some time alone and not being seen. So it's like kind of a, a balance, um, I guess. Uh, but, but either way, the bottom line being sort of like listening to my body and, um, and caring for it and respecting its needs and um, whether that be physical, like nutrients or psychological, um, like social connection. Um, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. It does. Okay, good. It, it started to make sense. It didn't make sense at first. I didn't know where you were going with it. Yeah. Like, not just necessarily nutrients and stuff. And okay, mm -hmm. now it makes sense because you're saying yeah. like, uh, psychologically, physically, mm -hmm. and everything, not just one yeah. aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, I bring up the nutrients because I feel like that's a signal that I get from my body a lot, but, but it's, um, like feed me. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of signals that my body will send to me. Um, and a lot of them are more like social and, and psychological, but it's like, I spent, I did most of my life until like my late mid twenties. I, was like so good at ignoring my body. Like, oh, what is that you need? Shh, shh, shh. I've got something else going on, you know? Like I've got other priorities. Yeah. yeah, and having a need is weakness and so I need to barrel through and keep going until I basically crash and burn and uh, so um, but I, I still, I'm, I'm not like an expert at that. Like I, I'm, I definitely- I don't think anyone is. Yeah, I really am not. So I just, I want to be clear that if anyone thinks that I'm saying that I figured that out, that's not true. But I know that it's something I, that's important. And I can tell the difference between when I'm practicing that and when I'm not. Well, that was some really good, um, every, everything you've said, I don't know why, but everything you always say whenever I ask you questions or something, I always so like intelligent but also like relevant relevant like it's it's so you're so good with words oh my gosh olivia thank you that's so nice to hear because mostly i feel like in this conversation i've just been like does that make sense like so that's really affirming to hear that you it resonates with you i i i don't know how you know i don't know 
how much of that sometimes when you're talking about stuff like this and you're just rambling it sounds like it doesn't make sense to you but then other people Mm -hmm. like because I did an interview for my friend's YouTube channel and I was rambling around and I I was constantly like does that make sense does that make any sense I don't know I don't know if it makes sense and people are like yeah isn't that such a good feeling when you're like trying to articulate something and somebody else is like oh no I get that yeah no no it's so great especially when the next level of that is when somebody is like, no, I feel that way too. And you're like, really? That's just, that's the best feeling. Yeah, definitely. Um, Anyways, before I forget, I was going to give you a second to like actually say what your book is and where you order it so they can like maybe uh, go order it or get it on Kindle or whatever. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay, it's called Sitting Pretty, The View from My Ordinary Resilient Disabled Body. And it's available, the paperback just came out this year, so, um, or this summer. So it's available wherever books are sold, you know, that whole phrase. Um, I love it when people order it from their local bookstores, but you can get it online like anywhere too. So, and it's available as a hard hard copy, paperback, ebook, um, and audio book. Yeah, the audiobook's how I listen to it. <laughs> Yay! I loved I loved recording the audiobook. It was so special to get to do that and um and like think about who would listen to it and um so like love knowing that. I love did. actually hearing it from your like actual voice. Yeah. Thank you. Like rather <laughs> than me reading it, I don't think I, it would like resonate as much. Yeah. Yeah. I thank you. I um, when they originally said they were going to do an audiobook, it wasn't going to be me. And I was like, Oh no, it has to, it has to, I have to do it. I can't, who's going to read this book. I don't want anyone else to read this book. And so they let me read it. And I was so glad. I was so glad. So yeah, those are the way, those are the ways that it's available. And, um, or the forms of it, I guess. Well, thank you everyone for listening to living my best disabled life. And I will see you in the next episode. Woohoo! That was fun.